Last week, I want to take you back for just a moment. Because last week I had the privilege of taking us into the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. In the middle of the 500, of the 500 B.C. century, we looked at the building of the house in Jerusalem where the people of God, the Jewish people, had come back and yet they were selfish, they were lazy, they were being self-absorbed, as we might say, involved in their own in their own pursuits with their own houses, their own issues, their own agenda. Now, as I've said before, please let's don't throw rocks at them because you and I do the exact same thing. And yet we saw last week that Haggai, by the word of the Lord, came into that population and declared what God said. And God said some very rough and harsh things. He said, I have brought a drought on the land. I have blown away all of the stuff that you wanted to produce. Basically, he said, I am disciplining you and then he said, because of you, the heavens have withheld the rain. Because of you. These people had disobeyed. They had left the glory of God and pursued their own agendas. And because of that, they were suffering. But then we had the joy of seeing that when Haggai came to them and spoke these words to the Lord, then it said that the Lord and the God's word stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, the whole remnant of the people, everybody. And they obeyed the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, and I would like to say and kind of connect this to a book that was written just a few years ago by Gary Chapman, and it was written to the people in love relationships, husbands and wives, families, church families. And it taught us something about love languages. Many of you maybe have read the book. It declared that there are certain love languages that we need for others to give us these languages so that we will know that our spouse or our family members or our friends love us by receiving our love languages. Well, I'm going to say to you that based on what I just read and what I know about our Heavenly Father, I know what His love language is. It is obedience. And when we obey, we declare our love for Almighty God. And when we disobey or we disregard, even by omission, then we declare that, God, we don't care a lot about you. Now, I hate to even say that because there are times when I disregard or I don't see that I need to obey a particular thing. But I would like for us to realize that here in the book of Haggai, as we talked about last week, these people obeyed, and then they feared the Lord, 
And then it said that Haggai came to them with a new message from Almighty God. And the message was, the Lord said to the people, I am with you. Now remember, he had been away from them because they had disobeyed. Now they were obeying and he is saying, God is saying, I am with you. And then last week, and I want to hold this before us one more time because it is such a powerful statement of obedience or a need for obedience. I turned to the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, and I read a passage that tells us how much obedience is important to our Heavenly Father and to you and me. Because it said, if you are willing and obedient... You will eat the best from the land, but if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. The issue of obedience is absolutely foundational. We cannot build the house without obeying and putting Jesus Christ as the foundation, the absolute cornerstone for this house or for any house. Back in May of this past year, I began preaching for you as a guest preacher, and I was privileged to have several Sundays where I spent time holding before you God's Word. And it was either the first or the second Sunday that I was here back in May that I went to the statement in the 16th chapter of Matthew. And if you want to get your Bible, we're going to go to several Bible verses or your phone or a Bible out of the pew rack. But in the 16th chapter of Matthew... I went there with you several months ago to declare that I believe that this is a statement from Jesus Christ himself about the building of his church. Now, I will insert the, the term there, the building of his house. And in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18, this powerful scene when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Simon, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by a man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, or I will build my house, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now back then when I spoke to you, and today and always, I will tell you what I think is said here in this passage of Scripture. I would ask you to put it before the Lord and see what you think. 
this passage of Scripture is debated quite a bit. Now, some of you know that our Catholic brothers and sisters believe that this passage of Scripture, they take as a statement that Peter, the Apostle Peter, became the first pope of the church, as they say it. I don't believe that that is the case. I don't believe that that's what this passage of Scripture says. Other people believe, and this certainly is a powerful and amazing fact that is necessary in the building of his church, but other people say that the faith that is stated in this Scripture passage is the rock on which Jesus builds his church. That is a wonderful concept, and I believe very essential in the building of his house, the building of his church. But I believe, and this is my statement that I put before you, I believe that Jesus, when he said, upon this rock I will build my church or build my house, I believe that Jesus was talking about himself, that he is the rock on which we build. He is the cornerstone. Now, part of what helps me to understand this is because Jesus himself went on and said in this passage of Scripture that even the gates of hell, hell itself will not prevail against his church. Now, who defeated hell? Who defeated Satan? Jesus Christ. Who can defeat Satan? Only Jesus Christ. You and I can't, except in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ in my life and in your life. And so here Jesus is saying, I do deeply believe that he is the cornerstone, that he is the rock upon which the foundation is laid for the church, for his house, for his people to be built. And so as we move from Haggai in the building of the temple 500 years before the birth of Christ, we move right on up here to this present day with you and me in your life as a Christian man or woman, in your family life, or in the life of the family of this church family here at King's Grand. And the foundation, I believe, which must be laid is that of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And then I go on to the first, first Peter, the second chapter. First Peter 2. And again, we get a statement of the cornerstone in Jesus Christ and us as well. It says in first Peter 2, starting with verse 4, it says, as you come to him, as you and I come to him, which is a basic essential fact, of course. As you come to him, the living stone, there it is, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious, precious to him. Jesus Christ, the living stone, the rock upon which is built. Then verse 5 says, you also, now please hear this. Because in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, it says you and I also, like living stones, we are the stones that Jesus takes to build his house. 
because it says you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be the holy priesthood. There's not a perfect person in this room. But in and through Jesus Christ, there is perfection in this room. And you and I need to understand that because of the cornerstone, the living stone, Jesus Christ as the foundation for you and me as Christian men or women or your family or this church family, then we have the foundation as a holy priesthood. Holy means perfection. Holy means without blemish. And we are being developed as a holy priesthood being able to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through and by Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never, never be put to shame. Now I want to emphasize the last phrase there. It says, the one who trusts in him. My question to you and to myself is, do we trust in the cornerstone? Do we trust in the presence of Jesus Christ in our life? Do we trust in his leadership in your individual life? Do we trust in his leadership in the, the life of this church? Now, it says, those who trust in this cornerstone will never never be put to shame. Now, I need for you to define trust. I talk to people all the time about trusting the Lord. I talk to the Lord about trusting the Lord. I talk to myself about trusting the Lord. Because sometimes it's really hard to trust the Lord. We say we trust the Lord. But in your crisis, in your decision-making, in your storms of life, in your lifestyle, do you trust the Lord? Now, my definition of trusting the Lord is to be completely and totally and absolutely dependent on Him. Now, I don't know what you will define it as, but I believe that as I understand Jesus and Almighty God, He is asking for complete and absolute dependence on him. And then he promises that in our house, in our building, in our church, in our lives, that we will never be put to shame. Please think on those things. That's what's here in Scripture. This is not just my words. Now, we go on to a passage of Scripture that we're going to look at on the screen from Ephesians, the second chapter. Now, I need to give you a little background here because this, this passage is used primarily related to the work that Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, has done in bringing together two very difficult sides of his people. This primarily is directed at ministry to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now, we are a group of Gentiles, but we are God's people. Now, I am inserting it into this message about Jesus Christ building his house 
because this illustrates, this passage of Scripture and the life of the Jews and the Gentiles is illustrated, unfortunately, that our Heavenly Father throughout God's history, if we can put it that way, He has had to contend with and deal with people who are divided. Now, that's not a good word. Because God wants us to be unified. But here with the Jews and the Gentiles, they were divided. The Jews certainly were God's original chosen people. But then through Jesus Christ, he chose you and I as Gentiles. And this passage of Scripture is talking about the fact that he's bringing these two sides together. Hallelujah. But I also want us to realize that even as Christian people, as people in this church or any church, that there is a terrible tendency for us to be divided. I hate to even say that. I hate to even say that. Because that's a dishonor to our Heavenly Father. Because He wants us to be united because we are one family. And this passage of Scripture is going to show us that. And I ask you to just look at the words and think about some of what I'm saying, but mostly pay attention to what and who really is integral in the center of this passage of Scripture. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, and there's the first statement, in Christ Jesus. That's what's going to be throughout this passage of Scripture, and that's going to illustrate to us that that's what brings us into unity and building the house properly. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that was all of us, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the foundation. For he himself is our peace, and only he is our peace. And he who has made the two groups one. He doesn't want two groups. He does not want division. He wants unity. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, does God want hostility in his house? No. Does God want chaos in his house? No. Does God want division in his house? No. And because of Jesus Christ, the foundation, he has destroyed the barrier and divided the wall of hostility. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> he has done this by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, there it is again. What is Jesus' purpose? His purpose was to create in himself. There it is again. It's created in Jesus, by Jesus, on the foundation of Jesus. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity or unit or family out of the two, thus making peace. Because when there's one, there's peace. When there's two, there's hostility or the, certainly the groundwork of hostility. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross... 
He wants to take all divisions, all disunity, and bring them, them together in oneness, by which he puts to death their hostility. The next slide. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You see the oneness, the unity here. Consequently, you and I are no longer foreigners or strangers. Now I'm going to put two more words in there. You and I are now brothers and sisters. Okay? I am your brother. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. We are unified in this family because of the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are brothers and sisters. You are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Do you understand that when he builds the house, he lives in the house, and he calls you and me to live in the house as brothers and sisters unified in and through the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus Christ. Next slide. Built on the foundation. This whole thing is built on this foundation. Yes, the apostles and the prophets, but with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. I'm just going to stop there and let you think about that for a second. This whole thing is built on the foundation with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises. Think about that word right there. It's joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Do you know that we have the privilege of being that as a church, being that as a family, to be a holy temple in the Lord? And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Oh, my goodness. If you haven't ever read this passage and understood the far reaches of these words, it's Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 22. And I want you to go back later today and read and think about what God is saying to you and me about building his house. And this is a part of what we've got to pay attention to. And I have a question for you now. What are you going to do with this? <laughs> now you can, you can come to me later and say, well, those were good scripture passages. I'd rather you say that than, Don, that was a great sermon. But these were great, great statements from God's word. And it is a fact, absolutely, that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Yes, I would love for you to say that. But what are you going to do with this? You and I, and I'm asking myself the same question. I ask myself that question often. Well, I'd like to read a passage from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Because it says something about 
living in unity in the body of Christ or in the house built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord. Now, you may not like to be called a prisoner, but that's what God's Word just said. Now, think about it. This is a prisoner of different character. This is a prisoner of freedom. This is a prisoner with forgiveness. This is a prisoner with blessings. This is a prisoner with eternal life promised to us. So we are captured. We are supposed to be captured by the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, God's word is saying this to me, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through what? The bond of peace. Where do we get peace? One place, Jesus Christ. Only one place. You can't find it in this world. People look for that all the time. And they've got all sorts of horrible substitutes, some good substitutes. I'm in favor of good family relations. I find some peace in that, but not all peace. So I can't find it in this world. But we find peace the bond of peace in Jesus Christ. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And that sounds like a declarative final statement. There is one place that we can find this unity. And that's in the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And I hold that before you as absolute truth. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm very, very pleased about this. I'm pleased about all I've already said to you. But... I get the privilege because of God's leadership to me and what I am to do over the next several weeks when I sit here before you. I am going to be able to preach to you and hold before you in these next several weeks the greatest sermon ever preached. And I promise you it's not by Pastor Don Solomon. Now, I've got to tell you a story here. I was the college pastor of a large Baptist church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania for four years back in the, in the 90s. Had a great time there. One of four pastors on the church staff. We all alternated times when we preached. And in that church, as was here and other places, they would hand out a bulletin every Sunday morning to all the people. And everything would be in the bulletin. And in the bulletin, there would be the title of the sermon, and out beside it, it would say, Preached by Pastor Don Solomon, or Pastor Chuck Teague, or Pastor Phil Cockrell, the, the other fellows that I was associated with. Well, 
the minister of music, the minister of worship, Phil Cockrell, good brother, good friend, was in charge of putting the bulletin together. And he would come and get all the information. And so he came to me before the Sunday that I was to preach. And he said, Don, what's the title of your sermon for this coming Sunday? And I looked at him and I said, well, Phil, here's the title of the sermon. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. And Phil looked at me like, are you sure you want me to put that in the bulletin? And I said, yes, but don't you dare put my name after it. I said, you leave that part of our normal bulletin blank. Just put the greatest sermon ever preached. And he was puzzled, which I wanted him to be. <laughs> but he did as I asked, and he put the greatest sermon ever preached, no name out beside it. And when it came Sunday morning for me to deliver the sermon, I put a picture on the screen before the congregation of Jesus Christ. And I sat on the front row. I did not even sit in front of the congregation. And I sat there with a microphone and I read word for word Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount presented by our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. I did not say any kind of commentary. I just read the greatest sermon ever preached. And when I finished, I said, Amen. And I've laid it aside. Now, why am I saying that? Because in the next several weeks, I am thrilled that I get to take this greatest sermon ever preached, and we're going to study it, pray about it, look at it, talk about it. I pray that it will be meaningful to you, to me, I pray it will be a blessing to this church family because it will be and we will absolutely focus on the foundation and the words and the teaching of Jesus Christ because the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I would like for you to read it, to study it, to prepare, but that is foundational from Jesus himself as far as teachings related to the Christian life. And I want to read and finish our thoughts together today because this is the final statement that Jesus made in chapter 7 of Matthew at the end of his wonderful sermon that I've just referred to. He says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against his house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on that rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
I pray that you and I will look very carefully at the rock. And we will build our house on that cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. Please pray with me for a moment. Jesus, sometimes I don't even know what to say. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed with the truth, the power, the rightness of your word, of your ways, of your spirit, of the fact that I know that you're within me and I know you're within every believer in this room. And I just pray in my life and in the lives of each of us that we will see you, we will know you, we will listen to you, we will know your voice, we will hear your words, we will read your words, we will live by your words, we will practice them, we will act on them, we will do them, we will share them with other people, we will teach them, we will preach them, we will sing about them. Your words, your ways. Not mine, not others, but your ways. Because I know, and I am glad that I can say I know through your word that you are the source. You are the cornerstone. You are, you are the rock on which we must be built. And then we thank you because in that there will be peace, there will be joy, there will be growth, there will be spiritual depth. We will enjoy the gifts of the Holy Spirit living through us, working through us, making us the people, the church that you want us to be. So we commit to that. We will obey you and thank you for calling us to you and we pray always in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ amen